Every year in the NFL, it's a new team. As far as goals go, we have one. Putting a fucking ring on our finger. Welcome to the Buccaneers Observer Podcast. This is Ralph Phillips. I'm Molly Bay. Today's June 30th, 2019. 70 days to kick off. But as Molly informed me, we'll have this up tomorrow, Monday, so that'll be 69 days to kick off. The big 69. <laughs> 69. <laughs> this is what we're reduced to. <laughs> off season is so much fun. Like Beavis and Butthead over here. <laughs> 69. <laughs> We're 12. (laughs) Uh, Got a follow-up. No fact checks. This one, I think, was a couple of podcasts ago. I'm not really sure. I got my notes all mixed up. But anyhow, we talked about Lovey Smith's offensive coordinator that didn't show up. I think it was 2014. That was Jeff Tedford. He coached in the first three preseason games, and then he had some health issues. He actually had uh, some heart problems, which required him to get a stent in his heart or something of that nature. And he ended up missing just about the whole season. He wanted to come back with five games left in the season, but the Buccaneers organization were like, we can't commit to you next year. And it'd just be a mess up of our continuity. If we threw you back in. So they released him and he went on to do other things. Didn't the quarterbacks coach take over? Was it Bajakian? Something like that. Well, we're going to have to do a follow up on on the follow up. Well, (laughs) I find this to be incomplete, Ralph. <laughs> we had another fact check slash follow up, but we couldn't remember what it was. <laughs> we were drunk. So if any of y'all can remember or find a mistake we made in a podcast, let us know. We've actually had quite a few people email us and comment <laughs> saying that they want to hear my rant on Thomas Bassinger that we cut out of the podcast last week. Don't know. I'm going to have to really think about that one because it was kind of fierce. I told you, Ralph, when he decides to start an argument, it's basically ended right there. Well. Like, you should just give up as soon as he starts in. Nope, I'm good. You win. (laughs) Well, I like to. Sometimes I will argue just for the sake of arguing, and I'm what they call a contrarian. I always like to take the opposite side of people. I have gotten into arguments with people when I know that I'm totally, completely wrong, just to argue with them. Why you didn't go into law, I don't understand. Eh, too much of the learning. (laughs) I think it's the bureaucratic ritualism that would drive you insane. Yes, I can't stand paperwork. (laughs) Yeesh. Just shoot me in the face. Like I tell Molly all the time, if I ever start worrying about my lawn or start playing golf, just go ahead and shoot me because I feel like my life is over. (laughs) My life would be over at that point. Don't get me wrong. Golf is a very fun sport, and it's highly addicting. To play it. Yes. But watching it on TV. No, no. It's like baseball and basketball. I love playing them, but I can't stand watching them. Talk about boring. But yeah, golf. Remember my dad? My dad is the type of guy that, you know, he sleeps in a room with a cot and an engine block as a table. Never really been into sports except NASCAR, kind of guy that will cut down trees and have them fall on his face and then bitch at the tree <laughs> as he's covered in blood. <laughs> and I went and I saw him, what was that about, gosh, that was about 10 years ago, went to his house and saw him and he was so excited because a golfing match was coming on and he was all about watching golf. Just totally shocked me. I was like, what? I who mean, is this person? The type of person that digs a ditch just 
for the sake of digging a ditch. Right. Just got to do stuff and, and stay dirty. if you're not bleeding, you're not working. Right. So here he is in his twilight years, sitting on his butt watching golf. <laughs> what would his 40-year-old self think? That he needs to be shot in the face. <laughs> Put him out of his misery. <laughs> All right. What you got for us, Molly? Molly's got a whole bunch of notes over here. She's, she's well prepared for this podcast. I am. We're going to talk about the Glazers today. But before we get to that, we did have a roster move, which I want to say, Jenna Lane tweeted out that this might happen before it actually happens. Get out of here. She sure did. Jenna Lane broke some news. Not really. She said, we might expect some changes to the offensive line, or we might expect the team to bring in somebody. And then that day they announced... I think a few hours later, not long after, but, that we signed the center, Josh Laribius. Well, he's one of the tryout guys that we brought in. That's correct. And we had waived Sean Wilson. I, don't, I can't remember when that was, last week? Mm -hmm. And then they didn't do anything with that roster spot until Friday. I don't know if Laribius is going to make the team, to be honest with you. Uh, talking with some Redskins fans, they were like, he really sucks. Really? Yeah. Well, and he was on the Saints last year, but dealt with a lot of injury issues. He was depth for them, and then he ended up getting hurt. So, <laughs> yeah. Did he get hurt in a game? or? <laughs> I can't remember. I think it was right before we played them the second time, because I remember it on the injury report in the preview for the game. Yeah, I definitely don't see him making the starter squad. He's no, going to be depth, if anything. Yeah, and, you know, as Jeneline pointed out, Evan Smith, he's still recovering from hip injuries, which is weird. It's like both of his hips. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had that problem last year. and then Yeah, he, he, he played, got put on IR. Yeah, he played the first half of last year. He was rotating in and out with Beninock. And then he got hurt and was out for the rest of the season. That's when Beninock and Kappa started rotating at right guard. Right. Jenna Lane pointed out that they're not quite happy with where Alex Kappa is in his progress. So I don't think he did that bad. He wasn't as bad as Beninock, but you know we're looking for top of the line elite guys, and I think it's probably a problem with Buccaneer fans and, and most fans, football fans in general. We want everybody in every position to be the best. And we're not going to get that on the offensive line for sure. At this point, I would settle for average, just an average offensive line. Ian Beckles was on Pewter Reports last podcast, and he brought up that all of our offensive linemen, their strengths, the type of player that they are, all of them are different. Mm -hmm. And when you look at good offensive lines through the league, like Dallas, Dallas, they're all the same type of offensive linemen. They're big. They're bruisers. They're, it's like a cohesive unit. And here we have just five guys who have five totally different play styles, mm -hmm. strengths, and we're trying to make them all fit together. Yeah. Yeah. We could have either an athletic line or the big bruising line or, you know, the smart guys that can run all these goofy plays. Me prefer, I like the big bruisers. Yeah. We don't have that. I mean, you could say Donovan Smith and Dotson physically are bruisers. And Donovan Smith was bruising people up the last few games of last year. We talked about that on the podcast. I mean, he was literally picking guys up and throwing them. And Beninock, too. Throwing them into Beninock. No, uh, that was Dotson. Yeah. You're talking about Dotson. Who did I say? I think Donovan. Uh, well, yeah, Dotson was throwing guys around. 
And uh, yeah, Benedict was getting a little vicious there towards the end too. He's kind of a bruiser. And Jensen and Marpet, you know, Jensen's a little bit more athletic. I mean, he's billed as a bruiser, but you don't see it on the field. Except for the unnecessary roughness penalties. Which are BS. <laughs> I'm going to, you got to put an but asterisk But still, I'm just saying he likes to hit people, obviously. Right. But he's not, you know, your big, big bully type guy. He's, right. He's more of a scrappy yeah. bully. Ali Marpet is, you know, he's a smart guy. He's not a big bruiser. I wouldn't really say he's that athletic. He can... You know, he can block in space somewhat, but I don't know. He's he's what you would call a jack of all trades, I would think. You very know? versatile. Very, very versatile. Yeah. So, yeah, our offensive line is just a, a hodgepodge. hodgepodge of different types of players. And if you do, if you look at Dallas, go back and watch the Dallas game. I mean, those guys are huge. They're strong. They don't move unless Vita Vea gets hold of them. <laughs> <laughs> go back and watch that Dallas game. The, they were throwing our whole defensive line around like they were sacks of potatoes. Nobody could get by any of them except for Vita Vea. He was, he was just destroying those guys. He single-handedly kept us in that game. Look, I can't talk about even the offensive line without bringing up Vita Vea. I know. I'm just so excited about him. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I agree with Ian Beckles on that. I would like to see us have more of a cohesive unit of guys that were of like build and like strengths. As it is right now, we've got it all across the board, you know? Okay, so then how do you deal with this without completely rebuilding? We can't do that. No. So what's your workaround for that? Uh we're just going to have to scrub out everything Warhop has taught them <laughs> and replace it with, which Warhop claimed that he tried to get these guys to follow through and, you know, block to the whistle, but they didn't. The only one that did was Jensen, and that caused him to get those unnecessary roughness penalties, which, if you go back and look, he was blocking these guys before the whistle. They were crap penalties, at least two of them. I think he got four, but I want two of them that I know of, the whistle blew after he blocked the guys. So they were BS penalties. But yes, just, you know, the, the new offensive lineman, what's his name? Good, goody, Goodwin? Goodwin is the run game coordinator. Godwin? Um, no, Goodwin. Gosh, Goody. 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 Can you remember that? Goodwin. Goodwin. Is the, who's he's the offensive the, uh, the offensive line coach is Joe Gilbert. Gilbert. Too and many, he's the one from Indy. Too many G men. <laughs> Gilbert, yes. Gilbert has got to just focus, just focus on these guys being tough and solid. And playing through the whistle. And playing through the whistle. I mean, stand their ground. When you say George Warhop said he was working with them to get them to play through the whistle, that kind of throws up my bullshit meter because, like Ren Dax with Pewtercast was saying that when they were going through drills and OTAs, it was just kind of going through the motions. Mm -hmm. You can't get expect them to execute all the way through the whistle if that's what you're going to tolerate in OTAs. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, you've got to do it in practice, too. You can't, you know, have these guys going quarter speed in practice and not following through and then expect them to go full speed and follow through during the game. It's just exactly. not going to happen. And throwing in all these guys with different strengths, different play styles, different builds on the offensive line, it just goes to show that Cutter and his whole coaching regime was more married to the scheme than they mm. were concerned about whether their players were a good fit for that scheme. Exactly, yes. They were very – our defense was notoriously bad for that. I mean, our players – like like most of our cornerbacks were man coverage in college. They were man guys. You know, VH3 is a man guy. Carlton Davis, man guy – that's what they excelled in. And then they come, and Mike Smith has them playing zone and off coverage 10 yards 
It was insanity. And then, you know, we've got Noah Spence, who, you know, he's a hybrid, more of a 3-4 guy. Nassib is more of a 3-4 guy. But we got both of them, and we had them on defensive end in a 4-3. Very strange, very strange how we, yes, we were too worried about the scheme and not fitting the scheme to the players. We were too worried about fitting the players to the scheme. They were They were scheme guys, clipboard carriers. Right, but then the why are they getting players that don't fit their scheme? Is that Jason Light, or is that a disconnect between the know. front office and the coaching staff? I do not know. Or is the coaching staff not, just not great at identifying talent? Well, you got to figure the first year, minimum the first year, Lovey Smith was in control of the roster. He had complete control of the roster. That was in his contract. And he was very vocal about who to draft. And, I, you know, it's hard to tell where Jason Light has really got power. He doesn't even now seem to have full power of the roster. I think Arians has got a big voice in his ear. Well, I just don't understand why you would let it. I mean, I know that the GM's job is to find personnel, negotiate contracts, all that stuff. But why would you not involve the head coach in that? Why would the head coach not have a lot of influence over that? Yes, and I wonder how much Cutter was even involved in it. See, it's looked to me that... And this is just speculation, but Lovey Smith had control of the roster and he picked the draft picks, right? And then when Cutter comes along, Cutter doesn't care. You know, Cutter's just worried about his schemes, you know, his routes and designing all that mess. He didn't seem to have any input whatsoever in who they drafted. So that would seem to be likes guys during Cutter's regime for three years. And now it seems like Arians has a huge influence in who we pick. He's probably got more power as to who we get than Light does. So Which the, makes sense to me. I don't, yeah, yeah. you, you got to have me, them work together. Unfortunately, I yeah. feel like Light has, this is the first time he's ever actually worked with a head coach. You know, before it was Lovey Smith picked the players and Light just kind of went, okay. And then Cutter had nothing to do with it and Light made all the decisions. And then now it seems like there might be a Kind of a marriage between the two. Yeah, like more cohesion and yeah. cooperation. But I feel like Arians can work with just about anybody. Yeah. Because he's going to adapt everything to the players he has. Right. But there are qualities and characteristics that he prefers in a player. Smart, fast, physical. He likes length Yeah, on his cornerbacks. <laughs> length. Not prone to mistakes. Yes, he you hasn't know, said that Average or better. Yes. I think. Yeah, but that goes back to what I was saying. It's uh, it's a thing with fans. We we always want the best player at every position. And we're just it's not possible. You can't have it. No team out there has the best core of linebackers and the best core defensive linemen and the best cornerbacks and the best safety. You're lucky to have one really good player at each position group. You know, so we look at the offensive line and we go, "Oh, you know, we want our right guard to be, you know, like Sheriff from Washington Redskins or something, you know, but it's it's not going to happen. We're lucky to have one or two guys like that. I'm with you. As long as they're average, I'm happy. I mean, as long as they're not out there screwing up, totally, like Beninok was at the beginning of the year, or like Diamond Smith does all the time. He doesn't screw up. He quits. Yes, right, yeah. Now, he gets beat now and then, but... Occasionally, it's, but it's, it's more, more the effort. Yeah, is. lack of effort. Yeah. Yes. The loafing. Yeah, and if you if you watch, it's it's more important for guys not to mess up than it is for them to make spectacular plays. If you watch almost every play where there's big yardage, it's because one, two guys messed up. Messing up, mistakes are a bigger factor than having an elite player on your team that can make big plays. 
You know, because you figure you got an elite player, he's going to make maybe two, three, four big plays during a game. But you got somebody that sucks on your team, they're going to mess up five, six, seven, eight times a game. Yeah, they're giving up that many plays at least. Right. Then Which you're is- netting. If you take the good plays and the bad plays, you're netting more bad plays. Right, which is how I grade guys. You know, they're bad plays versus their good plays. I don't give a crap if you make a fantastic play. If you make six really crappy plays, you're no good to me. And Donovan Smith is the king of making bad plays. I mean, in my film studies, it's it, I think I average, I, I haven't really sat down and counted, but he averages about five or six bad plays a game. That's a lot. Is it just him quitting or him messing up? It's generally him quitting. You yeah. know, the the he'll get beat sometimes, and then he'll just quit. We talk about that all the time, how he'll, he'll turn around and watch the play happen. Yeah, he'll watch Jameis get freaking nailed by a defensive end that he was just engaged with three seconds before that. Yes, and here's another thing. I meant to bring this up. I didn't write it down, but since we're talking on this, I, I went back and I watched some games last year, and you know, I'm real big into the intangibles, the things that you don't see necessarily on the field as far as the play is concerned. It's the little things like after the play, before the play, you know, how guys talk to each other and stuff like that. One of my big things is helping teammates up. You know, when when your quarterback gets sacked, I believe it's the offensive lineman's duty and job to go over there and help him up. It shows camaraderie, it shows caring. And I also believe if I was a coach, I'd say if it was your guy that sacked him, if, you, if it's your mistake, you better be the first one over there helping pick that quarterback up. I went back and I was watching the games from last year. I think I watched three of them. One of them was the Chicago game, which I don't know why I torture myself <laughs> that game all the time. I probably watched it 30 times. But in that game, the whole game, we did not pick a single one of our players up off the field. We would We will step over our own guys laying on the field. But then Chicago... Every play, they're helping each other up. You know, if a guy makes a tackle, he's in the pile. There's a couple of guys w- walking over there to help him up. That never happened with our team. And to me, that's a sign of bad team chemistry. Yeah. And especially offensive linemen. Offensive linemen, you pick up that running back and you pick up that quarterback because those are your guys. Yeah, that's the whole offensive line's purpose. Their protection. Mm-hmm. You're protecting your quarterback. You're protecting the run game. Yeah. And you just don't see it. It was, that's what it was about four years ago. Uh, I can't remember the specifics. I'm going to say it was Joe Holly, but he was great. He would, you know, every time Winston got sacked, he's over there helping him up or more likely knocking guys off of him to get Jameis Winston up. And I really, really like that. God, there was a play with Josh Freeman where he was getting like pancaked by somebody and some of the, Opposing player was like on top of him. I don't know if they were kind of scuffling, but an offensive lineman comes in there and cheap shots that dude right off of Josh Freeman. Yeah, I remember that. Do you remember that? that? Yeah. Who was it? I can't remember. Oh, was it Logan Mankins? It might have been. Was it was Mankins with Freeman? Yeah. Then it was definitely Logan Mankins. He was yeah. A, he was a tough son of a bitch, and he would do that. You didn't mess with his quarterback. Exactly. And when was the last time we saw something like that? Not with any of these guys. Maybe Jensen. Maybe. I, I don't recall seeing it with Jensen. But, I mean, I'm sure it happens. It just hasn't happened in the games that I've been watching and looking for that. Okay, listen. You've watched all the games. Yeah. Multiple times. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, it probably hasn't happened. That's true. Yeah, so that's something I'd like to see more of. And it's a, it's a small thing, but to me, it, it 
creates team bonding. And if they, I, I do not like to see guys on the ground and have to get up by themselves, especially if they're surrounded by three or four opponents, you know, and there's guys on top of them and everything, you know, come on, get those guys off of them and help the guy up. We talked about this for the past few years and how on our defense, when they made a play, nobody would celebrate. But last year with the addition of JPP, it looks like he got them into that celebration thing. I don't know what it was. The, it looked almost like a tomahawk or something. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the first time we've seen that in a long time. You know, they make a sack and they'd all get together and right. do that thing. Or the boat. Yeah, the boat thing was pretty <laughs> cool. Boat. I like the boat. But yeah, yeah, I like to see, you know, when you make a good play, everybody get excited and celebrate. And, you know, when your guy gets tackled or, you know, you're a defender and you make a tackle, it's good to have your teammates come over and help you up. We don't have that on the Buccaneers. I haven't had that in years. Jerry McCoy, of course, would help the opposing players up, but he wouldn't help his own teammates up. See, look, we can't go, well, we've been 20 minutes into this, and we're already talking about Jerry McCoy. That was you, a long time. You. You know how you can tell me. a Buccaneers fan? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what do you got for us, Molly? Well, I promised last podcast we would do some profiles on the Glazers. They're a really interesting family. So I became a fan... We got together in 2009, and I was forced into it. She was Not the relationship. The the team. She was a Carolina Panthers fan. That's right. Oh, wait a minute. Yes. Yes. Hold on. We got to tell that story. She's a a Panthers fan. You know, listen. (laughs) I never... I wasn't a football fan. I didn't watch football. My family was not really into football. We didn't really have a team. You did not growing up. I mean, oh, okay. you know, they're yeah. kind of casual. They'll watch it on. They're not going out of their way to keep track of what's going on. Okay, they might buy a sweatshirt or whatever. But yeah. so we lived in Carolina, right? So I, you know, I'm a huge Buccaneers fan, and I'm talking to Molly, and I'm like, he was trying to get my pants at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked her. I was like, "Do you follow football?" And she was like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Oh, who's your team?" She was like, "The Panthers." So, of course, you know, I'm like, oh, <laughs> well, the Panthers were surprisingly, playing. it wasn't a deal breaker. Was that hard for you? It's very hard, <laughs> especially after this. <laughs> the Panthers were paying. This was back when Gruden was still the coach. So this was like 2008. The Panthers were paying the Buccaneers on Thursday night football. And this was the game where I went. That's the end of John Gruden. But anyhow, so I was with a, a, a bunch of my friends. And we're watching this game, and the Buccaneers just got whooped. It was a, it was a story. And the whole time, I'm texting to Molly. You know, we, we had and I'm just a met. shit talker. Oh, yeah. I she love was, talking shit. I don't course, talk that shit to anybody. Of course, that's making me extremely upset because <laughs> here it is. My, my Bucks are losing to the Panthers. That sucks. And then the girl I'm interested in is rubbing it in my face, and I'm sitting around all my friends, and they're all rubbing it in my face. And I don't even care yeah, about she didn't the care. outcome. Yeah, she didn't care at all. She just found it funny that I was <laughs> upset. <laughs> yeah, so anyhow, uh, the Bucks end up losing that game. I was depressed. I was, like, upset because I was like, that's the end of the Gruden era. That's it. I mean, he just phoned it in in that game. And sure enough, they ended up getting rid of him. And then me and Molly got together, and I was like, okay, if we're going to be together and you're going to be a Carolina fan, that's going to be kind of hard. And that's when she was like, eh, I don't really care about the Panthers. <laughs> I don't like him. She's like, I- I'm ready for a new team anyhow. So I was like, come on, let's go. And then that's when, let's see, Byron Leftwich yeah. was the starter. And then Josh jo- Johnson. Josh Johnson. 
And it wasn't until I think it was the Green Bay game with yeah. Josh Freeman when he came in that you were like, oh, this is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. We got the NFL Sunday ticket. I had to watch every Sunday. Yes, and 2010 was a great season. We had Garrett Blunt was just killing people, doing the uh, hurdling. The hurdling, which was before then, I had seen like three running backs ever do that in the history of the NFL. And then LeGarrette Blunt comes in and he's doing it like three times a game. It was so exciting. And he's just plowing people over. And it was an exciting team. We had uh, Akeem Talib was just going crazy out there. And, and we had sex addict Kellen Winslow tearing it up on the field. And Josh Freeman was just throwing it left and right and having all these fourth quarter comeback games. Yeah. Oh, man, the 2010 was exciting. And then 2011 happened. And me and Molly were so amped up for 2011. We were we were talking crap to everybody. We were wearing our gear out everywhere. Because I do have family that is Carolina, our Carolina fans. Yes, and uh, you know we were wearing our gear out everywhere and and just being extremely boastful and prideful. We're like 2011. We're going all the way this year. Of course, we wear our gear anywhere all the time, anyhow. But it was we were, we wore it with a, with our chest out a little bit more. Yeah. To start 2011, and it started off really good, and then. London game happened against Chicago. Chicago. And then the re- that was the worst football I've ever watched my entire life from then on the rest of the season. And we were so embarrassed. We'd go out and sit at the bar to just kind of cover our uh. head. We were like, oh, this is embarrassing. And I actually, I think I apologized to you once or twice. Because <laughs> like, she was so excited. 2010 season, it was like, oh, yay. Now I'm just used to it. Yeah. And then the 2012s. And then, the two- and then yeah, ever since it's just I know. horrible. The, w- the worst Time for me as a Bucks fan was Lovey Smith. Oh yeah, that was. Just... I was pregnant and couldn't drink. That would that would make that it absolutely terrible. horrible. I remember we were at the bar because we didn't have an NFL Sunday tickets and we had to find a place that showed the game. And we're not in Tampa or that area, so it's like Buccaneers are way down on the list. So we go to we find a sports bar and that was kind of our place for a few years. And I remember going there and there was a table beside us were wasted. And one of the women I think was about to get cut off and they brought shots to the table for them. And I think she got cut off and she tried to give us her drink. And I was like, I can't, I'm pregnant. And they were like, well, we should get you some cheesecake or ice cream. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I can eat my feelings right now. <laughs> that was, that was a, the lovely regime was just, it was so uninspiring. Oh, you One thing you could say about Cutter, at least the offense was kind of exciting. You felt like yeah. when the offense when got the ball. When they were on, yeah. it was exciting. But sometimes they were very lackluster as well. Yeah. Yeah, Lovey was just, that was just miserable football. We've had a long time of miserable football. I tell you what, Buccaneer fans, get amped up because that is gone. Those days are in the past. We're going to have some exciting, exciting, exciting football. And I'm excited about our defense. I think we're going to come out just blazing. It's going to be crazy watching this. What if the offense hit their ceiling last year? I mean, they it's were possible. pretty good. Yeah, it's possible. Can they be better? Yeah, I think it'd be a lot better. Deshaun Jackson, if he would have caught balls, he would have been. We would have yeah. been incredibly good. Yeah. Dummy wouldn't even put his arm out. <laughs> He was out there T-Rexing, trying to catch a ball. This is what bothers me about Deshaun Jackson. You can see it happening when the media turns against a player. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened with him. And immediately, I mean, his performance on the field was enough to be pissed off about him. But then 
the media for them to turn against him and start publishing all this crap that they did. It was just kind of like, wait, why are you doing this now? What, you know, it's not about his on-field performance. Right. Yeah. So why? Yeah, you can watch the media. You can always tell when. Yeah. So I was really distrustful of the whole, you know, get rid of Deshaun Jackson. I'm glad at this point that we did. Yes. Hearing that there's some really bad shit that would probably end his career. Mm Mm-hmm. If it had come out. But that would have kind of been helpful to know during the season. And that's why they were doing it. Well, we would never call for anybody to be fired no matter what. No. And I'm not a big fan of one entity being judge, jury, and executioner. You're talking about the media? Yeah. 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 I don't think that's right. No. So. <laughs> it reminds me last night, me and Molly are playing Madden. And, in 2018. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm cussing Deshaun Jackson out. How many balls did he drop? <laughs> I had like five. He was wide open like five but, times. But here's the thing: don't they pro, don't they put out the game like Madden 18 before the 2018 season? Yes. So then they don't even know how that's going to go. Well, they update the players as the season goes. They along. do. Yeah. <laughs> so they knew he was going to drop balls. Yeah. They should have had him. He still got like 12 interceptions on me, right? Six. <laughs> had six. But yeah, they should have had Deshaun Jackson out there, not even trying to catch passes. If they wanted to be legit to the actual performance of the players, and they would have just had him out there with his hands in his pocket or something. <laughs> and then getting all mad when the ball went right by him. Right. I ain't catching no balls from Jameis Winston. I want I want Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing me the ball. I don't know if that was it. I don't know if it was it. I don't know what it was. The only people that knows what it was is a Joe Bucks fan, apparently. Apparently. And they're not going to tell us until way after he's retired, they said. Yeah. So anyhow, enough commiserating. What do we got on the Glazers? They're very fascinating. They're a fascinating group of people. When I became a fan, it was 2009, 2010, and I didn't know anything about him. He was still alive. Malcolm was, but I think sickly. Yeah, yeah. So I think the kids were running everything at the time. That was when you became a fan? That's when I became a fan. And so I'm going to start with him. Do you know anything about him? I know he was awesome. He was a real estate developer, right? Well, he bought... A lot of commercial properties in Tampa. Yeah, that's how they made all their money. Wasn't it like strip malls and stuff? Yeah, it's commercial real estate. Yeah, that's that's good money. If you can get into commercial real estate, that's the crap to get into. Well, this is crazy. Although, you know, don't mean to interrupt you, but remember after the financial crash in 2008, I was like, in a couple years, the real estate, uh, commercial real estate market is going to crash too. And it never did. Really surprised me. Anyhow, go ahead. Probably people have a lot of capital. Yeah, that's if you the own thing. commercial. Yeah, they were able to withstand the storm. Huh, interesting. Well, Malcolm Glazer did not start off with anything. His parents were Lithuanian Jews really? that immigrated to Rochester, New York. He was the fifth of seven children in the family. He went to go work for his father's watch parts business. They sold watch parts. Wow, that is That's a, where he started. This is a true a, a American niche. story. <laughs> the specific niche right there. Watch part. I wow. know. Then his dad died when he was 15. Oh, and he had to go and sell watch parts, like door to door. And he said it was one of the most tragic things that ever happened into his life, but it's what made him into a man. Yeah. And so this man who comes from... Immigrant parents and pulled himself up by his bootstraps, and he's a freaking billionaire. That's crazy. I know. You like to hear crap like that. Yeah, it's it's just incredible. Well, you know, people talk about how 
the wealthy, the one percent or whatever you want to call them, you know, pass money from generation to generation. They call it generational wealth. Uh, I read a book called The Millionaire Next Door a few years ago, and eighty percent of all millionaires are new money, and most rich people, their money doesn't last past one generation. Usually by the third, second generation is completely gone. Which makes the Glazers even more fascinating yeah. because here they are, second generation, mm-hmm. and they're billionaires. Yeah, they, he sounds like he raises kids right to understand business and finance and all that crap. Yeah, so you touched on it a little bit. He, he had a watch and jewelry repair business, and then he expanded into real estate investing into single-family homes and commercial buildings. Can't go wrong with real estate. Then he bought the National Bank of Savannah in upstate New York. Wow. So he made some good money in real estate investing, bought a bank. Then he bought some healthcare facilities in Connecticut. You know, I watched the documentary years and years ago. I can't remember what it was about or anything, but it was this guy. He used to be a Wall Street banker, and he quit, and he started, gosh, I can't remember. I think it was like a crab fisherman he became a crab fisherman, and everyone was like, "What? What's the deal with that? Why would you? Why would you do that?" And the guy, he said, "Well, growing up, I always liked money, so I got a job dealing with money. And then I realized after I got a bunch of money that I really like seafood, so he got a job doing seafood. <laughs> and you know that just makes so much sense to me. It's like if you want to be rich, what's the thing to do? You do something that has to do with money. You know, become a banker or." An, investment portfolio manager or a hedge fund manager or something of that nature. Most of those people aren't poor. I don't know any poor bankers. Yeah. And if you like to eat seafood, become a crab fisherman. So what can we do with the Buccaneers (laughs) to make us millionaires? To make them win? I don't know. No, to make us money. Oh, to make us (laughs) (laughs) Make us rich. We can get some side football. Yeah, maybe. So anyhow. So after the healthcare facilities, he bought television stations. Then he founded. Really? Yeah. What stations? In New York? In Georgia. In Georgia? Yeah. They're all over the place. You said commercial real estate in Tampa. No, it's all over the country. They They have shopping centers in 20 states. What's the name of their group? Their corporation is First Allied Corporation. It's a New York... That's, Corporation. That's so generic. You could, I know. You know, you could probably. Well, read it, if they know. had gotten in Delaware, it should have been in Delaware. It's very favorable for corporations. Mm. All these like huge corporations are usually incorporated in Delaware because of taxes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very favorable. Well, they mess up there, didn't they? They sure did. <laughs> I guess they like they should, paying a lot of taxes. They should have consulted <laughs> with you first, Molly. <laughs> but so this first ally corporation, it's like his. Um, a holding company for most of their real estate. And one of the sons is the chief executive officer, Kevin. They have seven kids. Only four are involved with the Bucks. He's got seven kids? Or six. I'm sorry, six. Really? I didn't know that. I thought yeah. there was only three. I know. No, I only know three. Those well, the... there's four with the Bucks. There's Joel, four. Brian, Edward, and Darcy. Who is Edward? We'll get to that in a oh, second. Oh, goodness. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm all jumping into this. Like... I know. Should I raise my hand if I have questions? Yeah, basically. <laughs> well, okay, so First Allied invested in, like, international holdings and public companies. So, like, the Zapata Corporation. That's shoes. 
in Spanish, right? I don't know. Uh, Harley Davidson, Tonka Toys, Omega Protein. Like, I guess it was real estate holdings and stock, it sounds like. Stuff. Stuff. And then he tried to buy Conrail, the freight company. Don't know anything about him. In the 80s, but then that didn't go through. Then he was the largest shareholder of Formica in 1988 and later with Harley-Davidson. He was the largest shareholder of Harley-Davidson? Mm-hmm. Ran that in the ground, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, they were they were good through the 80s and 90s, but... He achieved control of that Zapata Corporation, which was an oil and gas company founded by George H.W. Bush. So, will you say when he took control of it, was it a hostile takeover type thing? I don't know. I don't have that information. Because that's what they did with the United... Yeah. Uh, I'd love to look into what they did there. You should read into it. It's really fascinating. As a business person, it'll make you go, ooh, that was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, the family, in the 90s, they wanted to have a professional sports team. They just... They wanted one, yeah. Could you imagine just being like, ah, I would love to own a football team. I would, too. There's only 32 people on the planet that have a, that own football teams. How crazy is that? That's a that's a very exclusive club. Yeah. And now it costs billions. I remember when Schneider bought the Redskins, it was like $450 million he paid for them. Wow. Yeah, and they're worth like $1.8 billion now. Well, the Bucks, the Glazers bought it for $192 million in 95. What's it worth now? In a 2015 Forbes article, they listed as being worth $1.2 billion. $1.2 billion? In 2015. Yeah, so it's probably about $1.6 billion now, somewhere. $1.5, anyhow. A lot of that has to do with the the way the Buccaneers are integrated with the Tampa Sports Authority, the community, uh, the city down there. They basically, the, govern, the city of Tampa Bay pays for everything, and the Glazers just make profits off of it. It's really fascinating how they, it, it was an extremely good business deal. On their part. I think a lot of football teams do that. They've gotten to it now, but the Glazers were one of the first ones to do it. But they're, gotcha. the, the the deal they have with the Tampa Sports Authority is extremely good for the Buccaneers organization and the Glazers in particular. So that's why they're worth so much money. I mean, the Buccaneers are a losing franchise. They don't have a fan base around, you know, international fan base like the Cowboys, the Patriots, and all that good stuff. So this isn't based on actual value as far as ticket sales and uh, merchandise selling and crap like that. It's based on the stadium and the deal they have with the city down there. But yeah, the Glaciers are very good business people, if nothing else. Absolutely. They're all involved in the Bucks, Manchester United, and then the one brother, Kevin. Wait, they all are? You said there were six kids? Yeah. And all of them are involved? In some kind of business. They're all involved in business. Oh, okay. okay. Four of them are involved with the Bucks. It's crazy. I only knew of three of them. Three of them are involved with Manchester United. The same. Three of those. Four, they're Three involved. of the six. Well, which three? Joel. Avram. Who? Avram. Oh. They're the co-chairman of Manchester United. He. They only have one girl, one daughter. Right. And Joel and Edward. <laughs> those three are with me and you. Avram. Yes. Never heard of him. And then Kevin, he's with none of the sports team. He doesn't have anything to do with the sports teams. But he is listed as the chief executive officer of First Allied. So he is handling the real estate holdings, apparently, hmm. that company. 
Interesting. And Tampa so, Bay Sports Commission. Is that what it's called? I thought it was Tampa Bay Sports Authority. Maybe the Sports Authority. Wasn't that the <laughs> the retail outlet? Sports Authority? I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. Anyhow, <laughs> go ahead with your... So Brian, Joel, Darcy, and Edward are the four involved with the Bucks. Brian is owner slash co-chairman. He oversees a lot of the day-to-day operations and was privy, pretty pivotal in the family's purchase of the team in 95. He, along with Joel, helped lobby the league to get the Super Bowl in 2009. And then, again, we're going to host it in 2021. So he was part of that. He serves on, this is going to be a little tangent, the NFL's Digital Media Committee. So I'm looking up, what the hell is the NFL's Digital Media Committee? Never heard of it. Do you have any idea? You're going to love this. They make the videos? I found, I I still don't know what they do. But there is a 10-page list of NFL, the NFL's committees. 10 pages? 10 pages is of committees. Big, is it big fonts? No, it's regular <laughs> fonts. Social Justice Working Committee, NFL Foundation, Conduct Committee. Were you going to read all these off? No, I'm, I'm not at, all of them because they're ridiculous. The International Committee. Legislative Committee. Super Business Bowl. Ventures Committee. Digital Media Committee. There's that one. NFL Network Committee. Yeah, Chairman of that one is Jerry Jones. Did you know that? Did not I know that. I had no idea. So Jerry Jones is in charge of the NFL Network, basically? <laughs> Apparently. Wow. And Robert Kraft is the chairman of the Media Committee. What's the difference? I don't know. Oh, this one's a fun one. Stadium Security and Fan Behavior Committee. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? what? What do they do? What do they who? What? I don't get what it. Is that Stadium Security and Fan Behavior Committee? What does that even mean? I don't know. I figured each stadium would do their own thing. Right. I, well, they report back to the committee, apparently. Jesus, <laughs> man, the bureaucracy is crazy. I know. That's why I was like, holy cow. Employee Benefits Committee. Yeah. Investment Committee. You know what they should invest in? The NFL, because I heard it's doing really well. <laughs> The Compensation yeah. Committee. It's just insane. Oh, the geez. Audit Committee. They have an Audit Committee. It's crazy. Finance committee. Engineering Committee. What's oh, yeah. this one? What's that one? Muscular Skeletal Committee. Yes. And they have a Head, Neck, and Spine Committee. This guy, the That's general, at Dr. Alan Sills. Okay. Yeah, okay. A General Medical Committee. Health and Safety Medical Committee. I don't know how that differs from the General Medical Committee. Or the... Spine, head, and neck committee. And there's a health and safety advisory committee. We should do a podcast just on all the committees. <laughs> that is crazy. Ten I pages. We, we've done like two pages here. Okay. That was a little side note, but so, I knew you were going to love it. <laughs> you know how I love administration. I know. <laughs> so he's so Brian Glazer's uh, chairman of the digital media committee. No, he's not chairman. He's well, just on the committee. Oh, okay. What is that? I don't know. I still don't know. That's what I went in there <laughs> to look for. I got overwhelmed by all the bureaucracy and I just quit. Wow. <laughs> what if he gets paid to be on that committee? I, I doubt it. Oh, no. no, I don't think so. Why would they do it for free? I don't know. <laughs> he has a passion for digital media. <laughs> I'm sure he does. Brian Glazier has been inducted into the Tampa Bay Business Hall of Fame. That was in 2016. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. Uh, they're real involved with the community. So he makes appearances for like the Glazer Family Foundation. And he's also a member of the Moffitt Cancer Center National Board of Advisors, the advisory board for the Outback Bowl, and has served as chairman of the American Heart Association's annual Heart Ball. 
you know, you talk about you see these uh, like NFL players, they're like 22, and you go, now, what have I done with my life and everything? How in the world do these people have time to do all this crap? I mean, that's like five different. These are just charity organizations he's involved with. I know. People, and then running a billion dollar enterprise. Yeah. And then doing digital media consultations with the NFL <laughs> on the committee. And I mean, where do people, where do they find all the time to do all this stuff? I would have to say that they don't really do a whole lot with these things. It's kind of a, a uh, not symbolic stuff, but you know, it's not like they're out there actually working 40 hours a week for the Glazer Foundation or the Moffitt Cancer Center. You know, they basically just show up and maybe sign some Yeah, do things, some fundraising do some a couple of times handing. a year. Yeah. Still, that would wear me out. I know. It's, <laughs> it's a lot. Brian Glazer has his bachelor's degree in broadcast communication, so that's maybe where the digital media committee comes in. And then he's also got a law degree from Whittier College. He's got a law degree and a broadcasting degree. Yeah. A bachelor's. You don't see that a whole lot. Yeah, it's a very strange combination. So he's married and has two children. Interesting. So you said Malcolm was one of how many children? Seven. Seven. Yeah. Then he had six children. He had six. Now his kids are having two, three children, four children. Right. It's weird how that Darcy doesn't even have any. Ooh. Yeah. She is the owner slash president of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Foundation and the Glazer Family Foundation. So she, they have her listed on the team's website, but it looks like she's just an owner. She does have a lot to do with the organization. So she deals a lot with like the facility design. Yeah, you were telling me about that. She's not not as far as architectural and engineering, but more of like the... Uh... The planning and design. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So she led the planning and design of the indoor practice facility, the training facility, the the stadium. Our awesome stadium. Yeah. And she did the layout and the finishing touches of the club levels, luxury suites, and the lower galley restaurant. I love club level, man. It's probably one of the best club level stadiums in the league, if you ask me. I know. Mm. It's such a nice stadium. Very nice club level. And then you can't, you can't beat the boat, man. The pirate ship? Yeah. That is awesome. Love our stadium. She also designed the Buccaneers Museum, which is where we went inside One Buck Place. Yeah. So when we were at practice last summer, Brian Ford, the COO, was walking around. If you've ever been to a practice, you've seen him there. And he is really a nice guy and engaging with fans. So we didn't know who he was. We had never been to something like that before. So Molly just walks up to him and so goes, So I just hey. walked up to him and I was like, who are you? <laughs> and um, so we got to talking with him and it was actually, it was Ralph's birthday that I took him down there for. You almost said how old I that was? It was a milestone. <laughs> you were like, You've said it before. Uh, they all know. I'm old. And so we travel. I mean, we had to fly in. It's not like we could just hop in a car and head down there. It was a whole ordeal. Yeah, our, so, our arms were really tired. <laughs> oh, my God. Dead jokes. I wouldn't have laughed at that if I <laughs> thought about it for a second. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to edit yeah. that laugh out. <laughs> so, Brian was like, well, you can't just travel all this way without seeing the one buck place. So, he took us into the lobby and we got to see the... Lombardi Trophy, The Rock, all the Buccaneers designs, like the logos and the uniforms. And then they have all the statues of the players in there. So that's all Darcy. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I got to give a shout out to Brown Floor, man. Great guy. He's like BFF with me now. 
<laughs> Does he know that? Or? <laughs> uh, he just a great guy. They were extremely gracious, and everybody was. It was so nice. All the players were awesome. The, the personnel, the administrative people. It was just everybody was just great. We ended up walking out with a bunch of goodies. I know. And here, let's tell this story. Okay. So we're walking out, and everything's locked down at One Buck Place. So you've got locked gates. Like a key fob. You need a key fob to get in. Yes. And you've got the the gates at the front for the cars to come in. And so after, you know, everybody's like, okay, all right, we'll see you later. You know, so we walk out, and we realize we had no way of getting out of this place. I mean, there was no... It's not like there's a, a guest exit or anything. We didn't have no keep up. So we kind of walked around and we were like, uh, uh, ended up having to call Brian Ford. It was embarrassing. <laughs> in his office. Yeah, I called him in his office. I was like, uh, we're kind of stuck here. <laughs> we can't get out. <laughs> we don't know how to get out. Yeah, it was pretty funny. So we did get out, obviously. Yeah. Didn't die in the parking lot. It was hot, it was hot. too. Yeah. In addition to all the facilities, Darcy is big with. A lot of the initiatives that they have. So, like, the Women of Red, that was her baby. She also launched the Buccaneers Academies in 2013, which they serve, like, Title I schools. And those schools receive a courtside shade cover that promotes active and safe outdoor play. So, I guess being in Tampa, the kids can't get outside a lot. You need, you need some shade. Yeah. So they provide those schools get support from the players, cheerleaders, and they offer incentive-based programs. They introduced Ticket to the Future program in 2014 to incentivize continuing education. So those kids in the schools, it entitles them to for the opportunity to interview for employment with the Buccaneers following their college graduation. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. You never know how that stuff's going to work out. You know, work done was huge in the community with his, uh, his, his mother was killed. She was a cop. Work done used to be running back for the Buccaneers. His mom was killed in the line of duty and work done set up a charity where he would buy single mothers homes. And he, he, he bought, he's bought hundreds, over a hundred, I know. Of. And as a matter of fact, Deshaun Watson, quarterback for the Texans. Grew up in a work done supplied home. Oh, isn't that crazy? Yes. How how crazy is that? So you never know what these uh, charitable outreaches are going to affect. Yeah. Like the impact they might have. They don't hurt. Let's put it that way. There's so many that she's been a part of, like the Vision Mobiles. So I remember like that. Like a mobile yeah. eye clinic. Yeah. Jeremy McCoy was the uh, figurehead of that. Oh, was he? Yeah. And then Bucks for a Better Bay. Would have like a whole bunch of health and educational initiatives, military support. So Darcy is kind of the spearhead of those. Okay. And then also the design of the facilities. I did say she's not involved with Manchester United. That was from one source, but the Buccaneers website says that she is. So I misspoke on that one. So four, the four of them are involved with Man U. She has a Bachelor of Science in Psychology from American University, which is up in D.C. <laughs> and then she's also got a law degree. She's a member of the New York State Bar Association. So she practices in New York? She's licensed in New York. Hmm. And she and her husband, Joel, reside in Tampa. No children, though, huh? No children. Interesting. Yeah. Edward Glazier, he's the one who's really involved with the fan base. His commitment is to the fan base. 
How do I not know who he is? I know. I've never heard of He's him. obviously not doing too good of a job there, Edward. <laughs> he oversaw the overhaul of the team's marketing and sales department, and he also created the member relations department, which was created exclusively for the Buccaneers season pass members. He was a part of the decision-making in the indoor practice facility. Oh, and then he's also responsible for the uniforms. Oops. <laughs> Which were created in collaboration with the NFL and Nike. So <laughs> maybe that's why we don't hear much about him because he, <laughs> he's in hiding. <laughs> he and his wife, Sherry, are involved with a lot of philanthropic causes like the Elton John's AIDS Foundation, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, Museum of Contemporary Art, Los Angeles. They also founded the BFF Bear Program, which gives away thousands of teddy bears to pediatric patients at Cedars-Sinai Hospital, UCLA Mattel Children's Hospital, and the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. He serves on the board of Man U, and he's also the founder and CEO of U.S. Property Trust, which owns and operates real estate across the country. So he kind of followed in his father's footsteps. He went to college in Ithaca College in New York, and he actually, they opened the Edward and Sherry Glazer Arena on the school's campus, so he donated to his alma mater. They have three daughters, and the last Glazer child is I bet Joel. he's got a lot of shotguns. <laughs> <laughs> Are you speaking from experience? <laughs> yes. <laughs> he could, like, hire people to be a shotgun, though. Hire somebody to be a shotgun. Yes. I want you to be a shotgun. Right. And I want you to be a tree. <laughs> like a, a permanent cock block for your daughter. <laughs> What's your job? I'm a professional cock block. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? I don't know. It's a good idea. That is a good idea, actually. <laughs> Joel is the last. Now, Joel's brother. the big guy. Yeah, he's, he's the, he's the, the one guy. in charge of most everything. Yeah, he's co chairman of the team. He worked alongside his father to buy the Bucks in 1995. And then he also worked with his brother Brian to get the community on board with their purchase and the building of Raymond James Stadium. So they lobbied the city is what it sounds like. It's interesting. You know, Malcolm was such a huge guy with the Buccaneers and the community and, you know, the fan, all the fans across the nation knew Malcolm Glazer. I didn't realize his kids were as involved while he was the owner as they were. Right, because he had a stroke in like 2006 or something, but mm. then he didn't die until 2014. So that's a long yeah, that time. Yeah, that was like the first time I really started paying attention to his kids because then they, you know, they took over and kind of yeah. were in control of the Buccaneers. But I didn't realize that they have always been involved. Oh, right. Like they were helping him yes. way back then. Right. Right. Joel is really the one that's out front and center. He represents the franchise at all the league meetings. And he's also on several of the committees. He does the finance committee, media committee, and international committee. Which makes sense that we keep getting those stupid international games. <laughs> I was going to say that. Like, he's on the committee, and they're like, okay, let's get a London game, or let's have five London games. Actually, Who's going to volunteer to go? You know, you and Joel that, goes, I'll do it. Uh, well, we've done it, what, three times? This will be, I mean, this will be the third time coming up this year. We haven't done it since 2011. 11, yeah. Yeah, it's been eight years since we've gone overseas. Never been to Mexico. Nope. Are they even doing that this year? 
I don't remember. Yeah. Weren't the Chargers supposed to go? Well, you look that up, I will continue. He worked with Brian to get the Super Bowl in 2009, and then again in 2011, we're going to have it. Yes, we've got the Chiefs will be playing in Mexico City. The Chiefs and the Rams were supposed to play last year, but they did, the league decided to move the game to Los Angeles when the uh, due to the poor conditions of the field in Mexico City. Oh, great. Yeah, the Chiefs and the Chargers will play one of their two 2019 games on the other side of the border. Not sure of the dates yet. Uh, I mean, they're probably there, but I'm not sure. I ain't looking at them up. Joel, you're going to love this. He has, has his bachelor's degree in interdisciplinary studies <laughs> from American <laughs> University. So that's what Peyton Barber got his degree in <laughs> this year. And we were like, what is that? What is we just that? sounded like idiots. We were big dummies. Yeah. Yeah. It's a legit degree, apparently. I still don't know what it is. <laughs> he is married to Angela, and they have two children. So out of the four Glazers we know of that you profiled here, there's five children? I think seven. Okay, yeah, seven. Five. Two, three, and two? Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Yes. And three of them are girls, at least, that we know of. Right. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Well, that was good stuff, Molly. I feel like I know the Glazers much better now. I do feel like they're very behind the scenes. Maybe they're more involved when you're in Tampa. You see a little bit more of them. Well, they're not like Jerry Jones, where he's out front and center. Right, or Robert Kraft. Or Robert Kraft. Or Ursay. Arthur Blank with the Falcons. Right. He looks like an evil overlord to me. Like I feel like he should be in like a long tail coat with like a, a curly mustache where that he like twirls all the time. And like a like a cane with a diamond on the top. He is. He's just like a caricature. That's funny. Yeah, the the Falcons suck. <laughs> That's what I took out of that. The Falcons are ruled by an evil overlord. Yeah, the Glaciers have been very quiet. And they're very mysterious. They're sneaky with all the stuff they do. Very, very, very good business people. Though. Which is why when people complain about them, I'm like, they want to win. Yeah, they're not used to losing. They don't lose. They don't like. Uh, they don't like that the Buccaneers have been losing. You figure there's 32 owners. They want to be at the top of that list. They want to be up at the top. Right now, they're at the bottom. They can't stand that crap. They sound like winners to me. It sounds like they've been successful in everything they've done. And plus, you know, you got your dad you got to live up to. And the guy won a Super Bowl. <laughs> right. He took the he took Tampa from the depths of despair to the top of the mountain. They want to get there, too. If nothing else, it will drive the value of the franchise up. Right, yeah. It's bu- an investment. Yeah, if they're business if people. If nothing else. All they care about is money. If that's the argument, then winning will get them more money. Sounds like they're heavily involved in the organization. And it's a, it, it looks like it's got its tentacles in a lot of stuff, too. Exactly. They're very embedded, but you don't hear anything about them. They're not showy, flashy people. Yeah, and they're not in the media all the time either. Hardly ever. Ever. Very interesting. Good stuff. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us. Uh, We'll have another uh, podcast out Wednesday. What are we going to come up with to talk about? (laughs) We'll think of something between now and then. Yeah, we'll think of something. We always do. Like, when have we ever not been able to talk? I know. It's true. Yeah. If you want to get in touch with us, we're on Twitter at Bucks underscore Observer. We're available by email at mollybay at buccaneersobserver.com or ralph at buccaneersobserver.com. We're on Facebook and YouTube. Just search for us there. You know, we've got such a long name, Buccaneers Observer. I have a hard time spelling it. I know. <laughs> when I type it out, I'm like, this is too long. 
But B.O. was already taken, and plus it's... Body odor. Body odor. (laughs) (laughs) I still can't... Like, even on our thumbnail pictures, I'm always like, oh, we could do B.O., but no, we couldn't. No, can't do B.O. Never. Nope. We didn't think that one out. Kind of did. I don't know. It was a long time ago that we came up with this. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Get them push notifications. That's right. Be the first one. Share us. All that good stuff. All righty. Until next time. Go Go Bucks. Bucks. Stop. (laughs) It's mine. Okay. Go ahead. Go Bucks.